You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. And welcome to the show, everyone. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Happy New Year, all you whitetail freaks out there. Hopefully everybody is having a great start to their 2018. Uh, as we wave goodbye to 2017, man, I just am feeling, you know, everybody always says this, man. I feel blessed. I feel blessed. But I truly do, man. I, I have a great family. Um, I have a, a full-time job. I may not like it 100%, you know, it's it's not, I wouldn't call it my dream job, but the people that I work with are absolutely awesome. Um, it gives me money so that I can pay my bills and support my family. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful and blessed that I have this podcast and I get to communicate with all of you guys. Um, I, I'm thankful and blessed that I get to hunt whitetail deer with a bow in Iowa. Um, you know, hunting whitetail deer with a bow is a great thing. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky that I was born in Iowa and I have access to some killer ground. I'm thankful for that. I'm really looking forward to what 2018 is going to bring. You know, I made a Facebook post the other day, uh, stating some hunting goals and some non hunting goals. Uh, and first and foremost, man, it's, it should never, you should never settle in this category. And for me, I want to be a better father. I want to be a better husband. And then like for that, everything else is secondary, right? I feel that if I can do those two things and do them well, the rest kind of just falls into place. And uh, I'm willing to put in the work. I'm willing to put in the hours uh, to grow the Nine Finger Chronicles and to grow the Sportsman's Nation. So just know that that's what I'm working on for um, 2018, man. And that is to put out some kick-ass content, more badass podcasts for you guys. And uh, I tell you what, this first podcast of 2018 that we're doing is a Hunter Profile podcast. And we're going to be speaking with Tyler Hale. And Tyler hails from Vermont. And it is not a big buck state. It is not a part of the state that he hunts in any way that he sees uh, a lot of deer. Just imagine, and maybe some of you guys can relate. I know that I cannot relate, uh, and I mentioned this in the podcast, but imagine going an entire year hunting several days and only seeing 10 deer. That is the scenario that Tyler has to deal with in Vermont. And uh, I know we've had someone from Maine on the show. I'm not sure if we've had someone from Vermont on the show before, but it is a completely different world 
uh, in the whitetail woods compared to what I'm used to. And I have a feeling even uh, some of the other people, uh, you know, even even states like uh, Michigan and Pennsylvania, you know, your typical uh, high pressure states, you know, some of these guys are, are actually seeing does and small deer. You know, the population's good, but uh, Tyler today talks about how he considers it a good year if he sees 10, 10 deer and he goes four, five, six days without seeing a, a deer. I know there's other guys out there who are probably listening that are like, hey, man, that's my life. It, it, and it just it humbles you a little bit as far as me anyway. It humbles me a little bit to know that there are guys out there who may hunt their whole life and never see what I get to see or may hunt their entire season and only see the same amount of deer that I see on what I would say is maybe a bad night. So it just, it puts things into perspective. And the, what I really like about this is that it is completely opposite of what you see on television and these hunting shows where they hunt large pieces of highly managed private ground that there's thousands of acres and there's hundreds of acres of food plots and they don't kill bucks until they get to a 200 inch status or whatever. And then you got the completely opposite side of the spectrum in Tyler's world and he's completely happy doing that. And that my friends is what it's all about. And uh, without giving too much away, Tyler talks about uh, his, his hunting situation he has in, in Vermont. But before we get into today's podcast, I want to say that you guys need to pay attention to Exodus trail cameras. They are coming out with a new trail camera. Um, and if you've listened to the podcast from last week, man, um, Exodus has a, um, you know, it's just a great company, uh, and I say that for multiple reasons. One, I know the owners, right? They're passionate about the outdoors. They're participants. Um, it's a direct-to-consumer company, so they have the customer in mind first, and they they have not only a passion for the outdoors, but a passion for what they do. They want to make the best trail camera on the market, and you know, if you ask me, I think they're doing it. Uh, so... Go to ExodusOutdoorGear.com, pay very close attention to the new track camera that they have coming out, and I tell you what, man, it's at a lot lower price point, and you are still getting the same nine-finger discount when you enter the discount code nine fingers at checkout so it's taking an additional twenty dollars off that uh off that price uh, and so that my friends is well worth it i'm definitely going to be picking some up uh, between now and the start of next season exodusoutdoorgear.com enter the discount code nine fingers for twenty dollars off your order uh let's get into today's hunter profile podcast with tyler hale all right, on the phone with me now is Mr. Tyler Hale. How you doing today, Tyler? I'm good. How are you, Dan? I tell you what, I can't complain. Now, I know where you're at, and I know that in that part of the, the country, you get a lot of snow. Uh, here in Iowa, it has been all of last week and all of this week and leading into next week, we're having like record low temperatures and I'm talking like low, you know, low teens, single digit type temperatures. Uh, it snowed today. Yeah. Um, do you get that same kind of stuff up where you're at? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, this morning, uh, I woke up and it was about, uh, 13 below zero. Yeah. I had in my truck when I left the house. <laughs> So we're having some, we're definitely having some record lows for this time of year. Um, definitely had quite a bit of snow. We've got maybe uh, nine, ten inches right now, and nothing but ice. Nice. Oh man. So um, I guess now is when I say, where are you from, and what do you do for a living? Uh, I'm from Highgate, Vermont. I'm on the the northwest corner of Vermont, uh, right on the border of Canada and New York. Um, I've been here my whole life and, uh, worked at a, worked at a machine shop, uh, since I was in high school. So 
I've been doing machine work the last uh, maybe 10 years, 12 years. Nice, nice. So up in that part of the state, do you guys get any lake effect snow? Uh, I'm just far enough um, off Lake Champlain that I don't see too much of it. Uh, maybe if it's a, you know, a nor'easter or some real bad storm, we'll see. Right. We'll get some, some portions of it, but nothing terrible. Gotcha. Okay. So you reached out to me and you're like, Hey man, if you ever want to talk about hunting in Vermont, hit me up. And I know we've had another guest on from Vermont, but this was a long time ago. And, uh, she talked about how hunting was like, and I think she talked about some of the mountains because Vermont is on the north end, right? The Appalachian Mountains come almost all the way up to uh, Vermont, right? Yeah, yeah. It's definitely, uh, terrain is definitely uh, nothing but hills, and um, we don't see too many flat spots around where I hunt. <laughs> right, absolutely. Now, before we get into this, I think we may have had a little a chat, but there there's this thing in Vermont, and I'm sure it's other places too, called an alpine slide, right? Do you know Do you know, do you know what <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about? All right. Oh yeah, yeah. So when my aunt lived in Vermont, we flew from Iowa to Albany, New York, and then took a car and drove to where she lived in Manchester. And then me and my dad and my brother would go up into the mountains and ride on these things called an Alpine slide. And it's basically a concrete trough that runs down yep. the side of a mountain. And they, what, what is the, it's like a cart with two wheels on the back and one wheel on the front. Yeah. Something like that. So and so then they send you down the side of this mountain in this in this cart that's made of like plastic and like uh office chair wheels basically and yeah there's a lever on the front that you grab and I think you pull back and it goes faster and you push forward and it slows down or, or vice versa or one one of the other one you know whatever and I just remember my brother taking it real easy and my dad taking it real easy, <laughs> but me being the, uh, I guess rebel that I thought I was, I thought I would, you know, let's, uh, let's see how fast this thing can go. <laughs> and I, I, I would be surprised if that business is still in business because dude, I was watching people fly out of this, this trough, I flew out of the trough, slide, like road rash all over my, my legs, flying off the side of the mountain, oh, yeah. rolling down. <laughs> like, I just, like, no helmets. They didn't make you wear helmets or anything like that. It was crazy. No, no not at all. Yeah, that was, a, that was a treat for us growing up. Uh, it's down in a mountain called Stowe. It's uh, maybe about an hour from where I live. And so a summer treat for us, uh, my mother and my stepfather would, would uh, drive us down to Stowe Mountain and ride the Alpine slides, and oh I was the same God. as you. I, you know, my sister would start thirty seconds ahead of me, and I, you know, two minutes later, I'd be rear-ending her, <laughs> trying to get her to go faster. <laughs> oh man, I just I remember having so much fun doing it until like. I wiped out my cart kept going all the way down the mountain, and my dad <laughs> had to like stop so then he could like walk me down the mountain, basically which took forever yeah. and I'm, I'm bawling my eyes out. Cause I, back then I was probably like 12 years old, just bleeding all over. It was, uh, it's pretty fun. I, I'm surprised <laughs> no one died doing that. Yeah. I, you know, uh, there might still be someone that has that we haven't heard about. So that <laughs> wouldn't surprise me a bit. Well, Vermont, right? So other than maple, like a ton of maple syrup, right? That's like you guys, Vermont's known for maple syrup, right? Oh yeah, we're drowning in maple syrup. Good. I mean, I've all the maple syrup that I've had that's been from Vermont has been delicious. So you should you guys should be proud of yourself. Yep. Oh, good. Good to hear. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but not only is 
like Vermont known for maple syrup, but they're also known for gigantic whitetails. I don't know if I take it that far. <laughs> I had to, few I had, and far between up here. I had to give you shit because uh, you, when you messaged me on Facebook, you're like, "Hey man, if you want to talk to a guy who kills nothing but one and a half year olds uh, every year, yeah. I, I, I'd be happy to hop on." And I'm just like, you know what? I want to talk to this guy because, you know, this podcast that I do oftentimes revolves around the 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 main hunting states you know not necessarily giant buck states but michigan and pennsylvania we t- there's a lot of deer there a lot of hunters there uh we talked to um the guys in iowa illinois ohio wisconsin you know some of those big big buck states we also talk um not necessarily a lot in the south but we've talked to guys in florida and we've talked to guy i did a podcast uh, just recently with a guy out of oklahoma and you know I don't get to talk to too many people from the Northeast and it is a whole different world up there. And that's why you're on. And I want to talk to you about that today. So I think the first thing that I want to ask you in regards to hunting is when you first started hunting, what was hunting like in the Northeast? Is it, is it revolve around like family and tradition or is it something else? Uh, a lot of it's family and tradition. Um, um, I definitely don't go into the woods looking to kill a, you know, a three, three and a half, four and a half year old buck every year. Um, we're definitely fortunate just like, it's a big deal in my family. If someone gets a deer, <laughs> you know, uh, I grew up, I started hunting when I was maybe 12 years old, uh, 13 years old. We bought a uh, 110 acre property, uh, piece of property. And, you know, my stepdad, he's hunted for years, but he never really got into it, into it as far as, you know, doing food plots and managing land. Uh, so it was kind of fresh for, for, and, uh, so I killed my first deer when I was, uh, 15 years old. It was just a, just a little spike horn. And that was the first deer we took off that land. And, um, but yeah, as far as, you know, why we, why we do it. It's a lot of it's tradition and, uh, time well spent with my, with my stepfather and my family. Right now for the most part, you're just a gun hunter, right? You've, you've just recently broken into archery, right? Yes. Okay. So, you know, growing up, what is Vermont's, I guess, seasons like? I mean, is it, your standard October 1st to mid January. Uh, when is your, when's your gun season? I mean, at that point, it does it become like the orange army, like a lot of States or I guess, talk to us about what hunting in Vermont overall is like. Yeah. So our, our bow season starts, uh, the first weekend of October and then it runs, um, three week. It's two full weeks and three weekends. Um, so it runs basically through the, through the month of October. I believe they just extended it this year, like five days. So it, it ended on like a Friday. It was kind of awkward, but, uh, yeah, our bow season is basically the month of October. Um, we get a week off and then rifle season starts the second weekend of, uh, November. And that's the uh, same, same kind of deal. Right. Right. What's your rut? When does your rut hit? Uh, ruts, it's pretty, pretty accurate with the opening of, uh, rifle season, you know, second week in November, first week in November. Right. Right. Now, uh, what about deer numbers in Vermont? And you can talk on, you know, where you hunt, but, uh, you know, and if you have any other information about the rest of the state, feel free to share, but talk to us a little bit about the numbers and like, when you go out, how many deer do you typically see that kind of thing? Yeah. So I'm not sure what, uh, what Vermont claims to, to have for deer numbers. Um, it's nice just being out in the woods and seeing deer. I mean, you call it a, I call it a successful day if I'm in the woods and I see a deer. Um, this year from our bow season started October 7th. So from bow season, rifle season and muzzleloader season. So basically from October 7th to the second weekend of December, I saw 10 deer in the woods. Okay. And that's a, 
that's a pretty average year for me, I'd say. Right. Now, does the area that you hunt kind of play in line with the same, your typical East Coast, um, smaller parcels of property um, where you know, it's high, it's, you know, you got a heavier population, you're hunting in around houses and that kind of thing. Or when you get into Vermont, as far as a population is concerned, are, are there open fields and timber and eggs, I guess, kind of, kind of describe the, the terrain and where you hunt and maybe the hunting pressure and population. Yeah. So I, uh, I'm fortunate, uh, my house, I've got 19 acres of land, um, right around my house. That's, that's mine and my stepfather's. And so after work, you know, I can come home and, and I hunt behind the house, which is more of a, uh, high pressure, you know, there's houses around. Um, so that's my, my week hunt on my weekend hunt. I travel about a half hour and, uh, I've got 150 acres, um, that I hunt on my grandfather's. That's basically just me and my brother hunting. So it's a lot less pressure. It's more out, uh, more out in the ag country and not a lot of pressure or, or other hunters to worry about. Gotcha. So I, I do a little bit of both. Right. Right. So if you're, if you're only seeing 10 deer a year, <laughs> that tells me that the population probably isn't that high, uh, in, in your general area. Right. I, I don't think so. No. Okay. So then what, um, I mean, and then when you go to, to the other farm, you know, you have your 19 acres, then you go to the other farm, are the numbers, are you seeing more because it's less pressured or do, do the numbers still kind of stay the same? No, I, I tend to see a whole lot more, um, where it's less, where it's a lot less pressured. Um, and, and that too, um, this 150 acre piece that, that me and my brother have been hunting the last two years, um, has not been hunted for, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. So, you know, the deer are, they're definitely comfortable in there and, and, uh, you know, we try not to do a whole lot of walking around or make our presence known. So okay. now that we started hunting that piece, we're, we're kind of taking our time with it. Right. So how many years have you hunted this 150 acres? This is only my, uh, my second year hunting it. Okay. And before that, nobody has hunted that 150 acres in several years. Yep. So it's a, uh, it's my grandfather's land. Um, he hunted back when he was a kid, but he's never, he's not the one to kind of go out and put a stand up. He does a lot of driving around and he'll sit in the same field every night and turn around and go home. So yeah. he doesn't put a lot of pressure in the, in the timber. Okay. So, you know, what do you expect from a buck standpoint every year or what's, what's average? You know, I know, I don't know if you were joking or if you were serious when you said, you know, <laughs> you know, a year and a half olds, but you know, a lot of guys that's, I think that's the average according to QDMA. Don't quote me, but I think at one point it may have gone up, but, the net, the national average, as far as hunting in general, a whitetail is harvested at a year and a half old. So, I mean, are, is that a goal? I mean, what, talk to us about, I guess, what are your expectations during a season? Well, expectations are, uh, the Vermont antler rule is it's got to have two on one side. Okay. So, a so fork. they, right. It's got to have a fork on one side. Um, we used to be able to shoot spike horns maybe 10 years ago is when they, when they brought in the rule for a fork on one side. And, uh, basically if I see, if I see a deer with a good fork, I'm going to take it because it's not uncommon for me to sit, you know, you could sit for a week and a half and not see a single deer. Right. So you either, either pass it up and, and let it grow and, you know, have the neighbor 10 minutes away, you know, shoot it in the next hour or, uh, or take it yourself. Depends how much you really want the deer, I, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So this has, this has me thinking. All right. So yep. from, from a, from a buck perspective, it has to ha be a fork 
a fork horn deer, right? Yes. Okay. So is there a lot of hunters in Vermont where the population is low enough to where you're only seeing 10 deer a year? Or does the habitat play a role in that as well where there may not be as, you know, like Iowa? I mean, there's every every 10 feet there's there's food and that's the same way with a lot of midwestern states um is there is there only a specific amount of food for these deer or is the population low because hunting is that successful in thinning them out um i think there's plenty of food and i mean it all depends on where i'm hunting as well up in my the the bigger land portion that I hunt, um, there's a lot of, you know, oak trees. So I've got acorns and it's just on the other side of a cornfield. So, you know, you can catch them coming from, from bedding to, to feeding. Um, the small piece I hunt behind my house is, uh, it's a lot of cedar trees. So I don't have a lot of, there's just not a lot of feed. I've got a couple apple trees, but you know, nothing that the deer are going to swarm to. So I think, I think the numbers are, are way down and the, you know, the friends that I hunt with and, and that I'm friends with, they don't see any more than I see. They actually see less. So right now on this, on this 150 acres that, that you hunt, you know, you're saying if you see a four corn every year, you're going to take it because you consider that a good deer. Now on that particular property, when you first started hunting it, 150 acres, you know, I feel that that could potentially be a sanctuary for deer if there's very low pressure, uh, especially if there's a lot of pressure on the outside. Did deer ever make it to a caliber, let's say, of 100 inches or uh, an an 8-pointer or a 10-pointer? Or was the hunting pressure so hard around there that, you know, for the most part, every every deer that's two year old or older is getting harvested. No, there's I've got uh, I've got trail cam pictures. I've got uh, there's one good eight pointer. I don't know if I I don't think I'd call them a hundred inches. I'd say maybe 70, 70 to eighty inches. Um, but a lot of in this too, uh, you know, I haven't done as much walking around and, and scouting on the property as I should have. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, yeah. So that's, uh, that's going to be my next year's this winter and in this coming springs project. Gotcha. Do a little extra scouting, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, I mean, there's enough land there and, and less pressure that, you know, you could make it a sanctuary. It could be a sanctuary. Right. Right. So let's see here. Every, every year, I guess I want to ask you this question. How serious of a hunter do you consider yourself? Well, I'm hunting is, I guess to me, hunting isn't as much as killing, you know, a massive buck than it is just spending time in the woods. Right. Right. So, you know, you don't see a lot of deer. If I see a, a decent deer, if I'm proud of it, I'll shoot it. Right. Right. And, uh, that, I guess that really doesn't take that much around here anyway. Yeah. And I didn't mean to imply that, you know, serious hunters only kill big bucks. And I guess what I I should have uh, specified that when I say serious, I mean, how much time do you dedicate, you know, from, from a guy who's hardcore and maybe putting in 30, 30 days out of a season to a guy that maybe only hunts a couple weekends uh, throughout the entire season. Where, where would you put yourself in that, in that range? Oh, no, I, I'm out there almost every day. Okay. Um, I work close enough. I'm actually about five miles from my work. So I'm able to, to leave work at three 30 and, and come back and hop my stand at least during bow season. Um, so I hunted during bow season. Um, I hunted probably 15 days and I saw two deer. (laughs) Okay. So you, I mean, so do you run trail cameras 
before the season starts? I mean, do you have an inventory? Do you know what deer are on the properties that you hunt and what you can expect to see? Yes, I run, I do run trail cameras. I've got, uh, two trail cameras on my 19 acre piece. And, uh, I've always been jealous of you. I kind of live vicariously, you know, through listening <laughs> to your podcast that, you know, you can, you can look at pictures on yeah. a trail camera and, you know, you can name your deer and you can, you know, this is what you can expect to see. Right. Me, you know, I check the trail cam trail camera and I've got, you know, maybe six different deer and I, there's a 95% chance I'll never see that deer again. Really? Uh, so it's, it is pretty frustrating. I did have a, I did have a nice, uh, eight pointer behind my house. I was getting them every six to seven days, um, until the week before bow season started and I never saw them again. <laughs> so I know they changed their, you know, their, a lot of their patterns changed end of September, you know, going into October. And I just think he found a, you know, grass, maybe a little greener somewhere else. Right. So as far as habitat is concerned are these deer you know and i can only i can only talk to you about my experience here in iowa but and not necessarily about age class or size but if i put a trail camera out uh maybe in front of a mineral station or in a pinch point or in a cornfield let's just say a cornfield or you know, some kind of food source, I'll get a deer yeah. that I can somewhat recognize come by there on a somewhat consistent basis. If not, you know, once every three or four days, maybe, maybe, maybe a little more, maybe once every four days, what are, are the deer in Vermont or in, in the areas that you hunt? Are they roamers? I mean, are they moving around a lot because there's so much pressure or do do you feel they have core areas that they they kind of stick to? I think they tend to to move a lot. Um, one because of hunting pressure, and and two, you know, maybe the being up in the mountains, you know, plays a big part in that. I I tend to find that um, deer are always up high in the morning, and in the afternoon they come down low. So that's kind of how I pick my spots and pick my my tree stand and in time locations to where I hunt them. Right. So obviously you love hunting because it would really test me and that, you know, <laughs> to, to go, to go and sit in a, in a place and not necessarily hunting, right? Because you know that you're not going to see, you're going, you're going to see maybe 10 deer an entire year one or would you say two deer in a five day period? If I, if, yeah. if that happened to me and I saw <laughs> two deer in a five day period, I would call the game warden and say, something's fishy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, yeah. that, you know, I come from, you know, me and you are on the complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Right. Yeah. So my question is, you want to be successful uh, every year. And does that just mean covering the covering as much time and stand as possible? Or is there any type of pattern or, or principles that you can use to, I guess, increase your success rate? to, to put yourself in a position yeah. to see more deer and, and maybe make every, every one of those sits that you're not seeing deer being able to see deer. Right. So I, when say like uh during bow hunting season, you know, I've got, I've got a 19 acre piece out back that I mostly hunt uh, during bow. And so in that 19 acres, I've got uh, three different tree stands. And so basically what I do is, you know, there's not, I can't travel very far to adjust, you know, for wind or anything like that. So I just try to hunt, you know, I'll hunt a stand, uh, you know, two nights in a row, and then I'll go to the opposite side of the property and I'll hunt that stand, you know, two or three nights in a row. I just kind of try to break it up a little bit, you know, so 
<laughs> just so I'm not in the same, you know, it's not that hard to overhunt a stand. Right. Um, especially on a small, a small piece of property. So I just try to bounce around a little bit, adjust as much as I can for the wind and, and, you know, factors, small factors like that, but right. it's not easy. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So early season, you know, you start hunting early season and just like any rut, wherever you're at, the, the deer movement increases from the early season into the rut where, I mean, your, your rifle season starts because you can't even hunt the first week in November, right? You can't bow hunt the first week in November. It's like no hunting. No, no hunting at all. Okay. So you can't even bow hunt the first week in November and gun season starts immediately after that break. So it instantly goes into like uh, the rut is all nocturnal. Is that what's happening? Yeah, I think we'll also have our youth day is, is uh, the weekend before, uh, before rifle opens up. So the, the youth have that kind of first of November um, weekend to take out, you know, hopefully any big spike horns or, or anything like that. Right. Okay. So, do you as as you're bow hunting throughout October, do you see increased deer movement? And and I guess it's hard to tell if you're only seeing a handful of deer throughout an entire season. <laughs> but I mean, is there a sign that pops up? Is are there rubs that pop up? Are you you know this is interesting to me, and because it is such of the opposite side, right? of, of the spectrum. Right. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out in my head while I ask you these questions, how I would approach hunting in a scenario like what you have. So like the first thing I think of is sign, right? Like where trails, yeah. uh, rubs, scrapes, do you, I mean, do those start to pop up? Are you seeing deer right at last light or early morning or, or movement or bedding areas. What are you, what are you seeing in the woods? Uh, so basically, you know, you know, the deeper, deeper end of the year you get, you know, I definitely see a lot more deer going into, you know, end of October, um, going into November. Um, but you know, I do come across a lot of scrapes. Um, mostly my 19 acres is full of cedars. Yeah. And so I come across, you know, scrapes or rubs and, you know, I'll, I'll throw a camera on it, you know, just to, just as out of curiosity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I won't see a deer on that camera for, you know, a week and a half. So it's, it's frust. The sign is there, like they are there. And, and like you said, I think it's a, a lot of it's a nocturnal thing. Yeah. And that when you have the sign there and you can't see the deer, it's, it's frustrating. Right. Right. Now for me, you know, I hunt, I compared to the rest of the nation, I hunt, a low, a low pressured farm, right? I still have to share yeah. my farm with other hunters, right? It's an active, it's an active farm, but I might be able to walk into a stand location, get busted and come back to that same area the next day and potentially see the same deer or, you know, still see good deer movement. Do you get those kind of second chances where, where you hunt? Yeah, absolutely. Um, on more than one occasion, you know, I've, I've jumped deer and, and I really, honestly, I couldn't tell you that it makes any of a difference from, from what I've seen. You know, I hear a lot of the, the Iowa and, you know, states out, out West, they get concerned over, over jumping deer and, you know, they won't come back at all. I, right. I see the exact opposite. You know, I, I don't think it bothers them one bit. Okay. So not only are they, so in, in some sense of the fashion, the deer are used to human intrusion. Yeah, that's, that's probably most of it. I would say. Okay. So it sounds to me like they're conditioned to be accepting humans, but at the same time they're, they're kind of scared of them, but not scared enough to not get shot. And that's why. I mean, that sounds to me yeah. like it's part of the reason why there's such a low population because if a deer does come by, it's, I mean, are they easily killable? 
I know that that's a dumb question in the sense of in the sense of numbers of deer, but from a you know they're pressured so much that they're conditioned to be pressured, and that when a deer does come into range or make itself accessible, it's it's killable. Is that is that true or false? It's it, I would say that's true uh, for the most part. Um, like, uh, I had a deer, I actually killed a deer on my birthday this year. It was October 15th Okay. and, uh, I had a terrible day. It was 70 degrees out. <laughs> uh, it's, it was like the worst winds we could have had. It was like 30 mile an hour winds. Yeah. Um, I didn't get, didn't get up in my stand until about three thirty in the afternoon. <clears throat> and so I came back home and my fiance, she said, you've always wanted to kill a deer on your birthday you know, go sit in your stand. And I was like, you know, it's 70 degrees out. We're having super warm temperatures. So I said, screw it. And I went out anyway. And so I, I hadn't seen the deer all year. <laughs> so went out in my stand anyway. Um, sat for maybe an hour, hour and a half. And I saw two deer on this ridge, maybe 50 yards, <clears throat> both though. And they were walking, they walked straight towards me. So they came down I ranged them at like 18 yards. Um, they looked right at me. <laughs> so we were making eye contact. I stayed awful still. And they started walking again. They got behind a couple of cedars. So I drew back and they looked at me again and jumped off, you know, maybe three or four leaps and then stopped again. And they came back in the same direction. And that's, you know, I took the shot and, and I, I harvested her, but she knew I was there and she came back anyway, you know? So it's not a, yeah. Yeah. I don't think I would get a second chance like that in Iowa. And what I mean by second chance, I mean, they may cycle through again the next day, but I don't get, I I won't get second chance, like second chances, like a, I spook a doe or any deer and they see me maybe catch my wind even and then they they work their way back in unless it's a it's a really young immature like yearling deer that's just confused but um man that's just very it's very interesting now on the on this property that you hunt the 150 acres is it yeah. Is it like mountainous, extremely hilly, or is it get into like the low, low land flat ground? No, it's uh, it's extremely mountainous. <laughs> okay, it's it's hard walking and it's hard getting around. Okay, so you mentioned that in the mornings the deer are high, in the afternoons they work their uh, they work their way down. Um, what is 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 the bedding high, or is it just because? higher ground means less people. I think in that particular area, I think higher ground means less people. Okay. Um, because even that 150 acres on the backside where we tend to see them come from, no, that we're aware of nobody even hunts there. So, you know, that's probably like you were, you were saying, that's probably some kind of sanctuary or, you know, a, you know, a huge bedding area for them. So what are they coming down to? to eat are they are there oaks or is there ag or what are they working their way down from bedding to both there's a there's a lot of oaks on that property and there's also a lot of ag so the higher up you know it's basically just it's all timber and all mountain uh when you come down that's where you know the farmers have um we've got a cornfield that borders the piece of property and so where I set my stand actually is in between, uh, in between the cornfield and, uh, the edge of a swamp actually. And I, I found that just by chance this past season, I found a good run and that's where I stuck my stand and seemed to work out for me. Gotcha. So on this, on this property, do the deer go straight down or are they kind of going back and forth down? Are they angling down? How does that, how does that work as far as the elevation change? I seem to catch them coming the majority of the time they come straight down and 
I mean, there's exceptions to everything. Right. I've seen them everywhere. I've seen them go up, but, but I would say the majority that I see, and they kind of run the same trail and they, they come straight down from up top. Gotcha. So how do you, how is your access to stand locations and how do you pick those stand locations? Uh, this stand location I have, um, I actually changed my access route, um, this past season. So last year I had like a, like a 30 minute walk, um, just to get to this stand. And this past year, and I, like I said, I'm set up on the edge of a swamp. And so this past year I actually started parking on the road and it's like, a, it's less than a 10 minute walk, but I also have to walk through the swamp. Uh, to get to my stand. And I found that maybe walking, when I walk through the swamp, um, I'm coming down from a lower elevation. So I'm not busting the deer that I thought I would potentially bust. Um, and I'm, I've actually seen a lot more deer this year than I did last year. Yeah. Cool. So you, so you're seeing more deer because you change your access route up in your stand location now as far as stand locations are you mobile at all or do you pretty much go to the same uh, the same stand locations every year or do you change that stand location at the beginning of the year how's how's that work um i'm pretty mobile i did hunt i did set up a stand uh this year so i set up a stand it was actually the opening afternoon of rifle season. <clears throat> and I put this stand here and my fiance just got her, uh, hunting license. So I took her out opening morning. <laughs> so we didn't see anything opening morning. Uh, that afternoon I put up a new stand. Uh, I sat in it that night I saw two deer. And then the following morning I went up and I, I killed the buck, um, the Sunday of opening weekend. And I did leave that stand there and go back to hunt it during muzzleloader, which I didn't have any luck. Um, so next year, I think I'm going to be try to mobilize myself a lot more. Um, I also just picked up a, a lone wolf sit and climb. So that'll open my options up quite a bit more, I think. Oh, yeah, definitely will. Um, now, <laughs> I don't know why this popped into my head, but it did. Low numbers, right? you get a new hunter out there and you tell them, okay, you're going to see one deer every 10 days, one deer every five (laughs) days. On a serious note though, from a retention standpoint, how, how has that been, how it's been for you ever since you started hunting was I like your dad or your uncle who or whoever got you into hunting said, all right, we're going to go and sit for five days in this tree and you're not going to see, but one deer. So you got to pay attention from a, from a, you know, getting kids into hunting. I feel that would be difficult. Uh, talk on that if you can. Yeah. So it, it has been like that (laughs) since I was a kid. Um, like I said, if you can go out and sit in the woods and if you see one deer, I consider it a good night, you know? Right. Right. And, uh, my when i brought my girlfriend out there she was she was saying the same thing you know she she went out and sat with me last year a couple times you know without a gun obviously and we've never seen anything and so this year when she sat opening morning she came down and she said i saw five doe i saw five doe and she was ecstatic yeah and you know she didn't see anything else the rest of the season but it's always kind of been a you know, if you see one deer a night, you're, you're doing something right. Yeah, for sure. Now I'm kind of bouncing all over the place. Cause my, not only are my kids yelling in the background, but I am, I'm, I'm, I'm just random thoughts about your scenario here on this 150 acres, right? The, you yep. have, you have access to this is the entire, can you do anything from a food or habitat improvement standpoint? on on your grandfather's farm that will allow you to you know alter the terrain to make it more suitable to hold more deer yes 
Okay. Now, do you have a management plan in effect or are you working on that right now? Uh, my brother and I are working on something for next year. Um, even my grandfather, you know, we're going to cut a couple of trails to where we can, we can actually fit a four wheeler down through there. Cause it's, it's such thick timber. I mean, you, you can't just roam around these woods with a four wheeler. So we've got to make some trails and, and make some things happen in the future. Okay. But as far as, uh, food plots or like water or anything to where you, you can start controlling what is on your property. Therefore you can start controlling what you shoot. So you can shoot more deer a year, or you can shoot a different age class of deer a year, or, or are you guys just not, you don't care about that to the point where, Hey man, I'm just happy if I kill a deer a year. No, <clears throat> you know, jumping, you know, I think that'd be going to the next level, which is something I'd, I'd love to be yeah. able to do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, definitely something, you know, that we've talked about that we'd like to continue doing. Okay. Gotcha. Um, just out of curiosity's sake, while hunting or, or even driving around or scouting or checking trail cameras, what is the biggest buck in Vermont that you've ever seen? Biggest buck in Vermont. I, uh, fortunately for us, we do a lot of, uh, a lot of coyote hunting in the summer too. We've got a, a lot of coyotes, uh, in this area. And so the farmer across the road, we were coyote hunting this summer and we, we saw, I saw bucks this year that I've never seen before in my life. I mean, they were just huge, massive and, and we never saw them again, you know, after, after we stopped hunting, you know, maybe three, four weeks before, before bow season started, yeah. um, they, they never saw the deer. We never saw the deer again. So, I mean, they're, they are out there. I, okay. I can't say they're not because I've seen them. Right. So what is a huge buck in Vermont? <clears throat> a huge buck in Vermont is, I'm not very familiar with, with, uh, you know, calling, inches out gotcha. but to the ears know, to the eight, ears yeah to the ears you know i've seen them out those bucks that i saw during coyote hunting they were out past the ears okay um you know a good eight pointer 100 and you know 180 190 pounds you're, you're doing something right right okay cool um now have you ever considered not that you want to, you know, maybe you're completely happy with shooting forks, but have you, ever, has the thought ever crossed your mind that I don't want to shoot a fork anymore and I want to shoot a, a six pointer or a, um, or, you know, started focusing on age class at all. Um, have those thoughts ever crossed your mind or are you in a, in a position now where, you're, you just, you're, you're going to shoot, you know, the first four corn that walks by. No, you know, shooting bigger deer is, is definitely something I'd love to do and love okay. to be able to do. Um, like it's just putting the work in. I mean, we've right. got a, you know, we, like you said, we do have 150 acres that we could do a whole lot with, um, and, you know, be able to shoot those larger class deer. Um, so yeah, you know you can only shoot so many, so many forks and, and five pointers that you kind of want to do something bigger and better and you know put yourself and make it happen for yourself. Right, absolutely. So what do you think you need to do specifically to to take that next step? I think uh, a hell of a lot more scouting. Um, you know we've got 150 acres and I hunted maybe i don't know 40 acres of it all season long so you know it's just getting out there and you know there's parts of the property that i haven't even been to yet right so just seeing seeing what's out there you know maybe setting up a couple trail cameras um you know trying to get them patterned a little better you know just spending more time in the area i guess right yeah it makes a lot of sense now for me 
I'm in a position where I have goals too, right? We all have these, we all have these different goals and yes, I want to continue to shoot bigger, more mature, mature deer or specific age classes or specific deer. Like I am only going to shoot a, this one deer or go after one deer. Those are some of the, some of the goals I have for the future. But at the same time, I want to experience hunting outside of what I already know. Do you have any, I guess, drive to go hunt other states, whitetail hunt other states? Oh yeah, I'd I'd love to. And uh, my stepfather and I, we actually go up to, I don't know if you've heard of Anacostia Island up in Canada. Yeah, I've heard about that. Uh, Yeah, so we go up there once a year. Um, We've been the last three years. And uh, I, it's a beautiful area. It's a beautiful island, but I have to tell you, the hunting is not much better than <laughs> than what we have here in Vermont. Where where is um, Anacosta Island? It's about five hundred miles, five hundred and fifty miles uh, north, and maybe fifteen miles off the the eastern coast of Canada. Okay, so it's fifteen miles in, and it's. 500 miles north. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, okay, I see it. And is there, is there like a ferry you take to get there or a plane or how's that work? Yeah. So you go up and, um, you, we fly out of, I'm only about 45 minutes from Montreal. So we drive up to Montreal and then we fly straight from, uh, Montreal to Quebec city to Anacostia Island. Okay. So then, what is it about Anacostia Island that if the hunting is not much better than it is there, is it an experience? Is it an experience thing? Absolutely. It's, uh, uh, there's nothing on the Island. If you've, if you've ever felt alone in your life, I mean, Anacostia Island is the way to feel alone. (laughs) Yeah. Um, you know, there's no, there's no cell phone service. There's no stores. There's no, schools or or anything they they drop you off out of the truck and they pick you up at night and i mean you're out there by yourself all day nice so what's what's the mostly the experience what's the deer situation like on that island it's uh so the deer on on anacostia were actually imported from uh virginia and like the sometime in the 1800s and so they're basically all the genetics are from virginia so I mean, they're not, they're not massive. It's a good Anacostia deer is a good Vermont deer. If you ask me. Gotcha. Pretty much the same. Um, and it's just, and it's just the fact that you can go out, you can be remote and, and it just be in nature. It sounds like, are you guys, are you guys in a cabin? You hunting in tents? What's the deal? Uh, they've got, they've got lodges. It's basically like a, like a fancy double wide, you know, that, that houses like 18 people. And then they drop you off at different trails or different points during the day. And I mean, you're, you're so far apart from the next person. You don't hear gunshots. You don't hear anything. Yeah. Is there any bears out there? There's no bears up there. Nope. What about in Vermont? Uh, we do have bears, but the, I mean, the population is, not very big at all. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, cool, man. I tell you what, it's, it kind of brings for me, I liked having this conversation with you because it, it just lets me know how blessed that I am to be born where I was born and have this passion. (laughs) And, you know, it's, I, I couldn't help but think trading places with you for a season and just imagine, <laughs> no, but imagining what it would be like if some, you said, Dan, you're going to hunt Vermont and Tyler, you're going to hunt Iowa, right? Obviously sure. you would be like, we'll do it next year. If you want, <laughs> <laughs> you got points, buddy. <laughs> not but, yet. Not yet. Well, you should start. Um, <laughs> but what I'm getting at is like, it would just it would it would force you to have to think completely different. I mean, me force me to uh, hunt 
completely different. And yeah, it, it just, I don't know. I just, you know, it makes, it makes me feel blessed. And at the same time, it's like a majority of the people who hunt in the United States are probably hunting in scenarios closer to what you are than, than yep. are, are hunting closer to what I am. And the, it, the hunting industry as a whole is hunting even higher, even further away from than what I'm hunting. Right. So right. it's just like, it, it blows, it blows my mind that this, this, I don't know. I, I'm I'm going off on a tangent now, but how the hunting industry is not even close to representing what hunting in North America is like. Right. I I definitely agree. So, well, did you shoot a deer this year? I did. I shot two. You shot uh, two. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I got one. Uh, my first archery kill. I actually shot on my birthday. Mature doe. And, um, I took a, a five point, it was 130 pounds during the uh, first weekend of rifle season. Oh, nice. So then how many deer can you actually shoot a year in Vermont? Uh, you can shoot three in a year. You can shoot, uh, two buck and one doe or two doe and one buck. Okay. So does, and one of them has to be a gun like, uh, for bucks, right? One of them has to be a bow and then one of them can be a gun. Yeah, so you you can shoot um, you can shoot two deer during bow season. You can shoot two doe um, if you want, and then but that's all you can shoot during bow. You have to wait till either rifle or muzzleload season. Okay, so can you shoot a can you shoot a buck with during archery season? Yes. Okay. All right. So it can be two deer during archery season, uh, and then the third has to come. Uh, in gun season and it it has to be whatever you didn't it has to be a buck or a doe right so you can't shoot two bucks during archery season right uh that's a good question <laughs> i guess i've never been that close uh to actually have to look that rule up <laughs> um <laughs> that's funny well cool man that's awesome um so you got, I mean, you got the freezer filled at least, right? You got some deer meat. Yep, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, it's been a great year. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I tell you what, I, I wish you continued success and I'm really interested to see what you do with the property, uh, your grandfather's property and the habitat improvements, um, and you know, food plots, if you decide to plant food plots. So do me a favor and keep us posted on you know, take some, take some notes, uh, and, uh, track what you're currently seeing and what those habitat improvements do to your property to see how it changes. And I'd love to see if, uh, you guys are seeing bigger bucks or a higher age class or, or are becoming more successful on that property because of the work that you put in. So, um, I'd love to hear from, from that, but thanks for uh, coming on the podcast, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Dan. And there you have it. Huge shout out to Tyler. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast and talking to us a little bit about what it's like to hunt in Vermont. Huge shout out to each and every one of you for continuing to download this podcast and all of the podcasts within the Sportsman's Nation umbrella. Like I said in the opener, dude, I am going to grind to build the Sportsman's Nation and have a shit ton of awesome content coming your way. I tell you what, guys, there's more to come, more to come, so pay attention to that. If you haven't already, go to Instagram, go to Facebook, find the Sportsman's Nation social media page like them comment you know spread the word nine finger chronicles facebook instagram find them like them spread the word go to itunes leave a review go to wherever you download your podcast leave a review subscribe to it Uh, make sure it's coming directly to your phone you can do that on Podbean, you can do it on Stitcher, you can do it on iTunes or wherever it is that you download. All you have to do is search for Sportsman's Nation and uh, 
I tell you what, it's going to come up for you. Then all you got to do is subscribe to it. Other than that, guys, 2018 is going to be kick-ass. I wish all the best for all of you. And, uh, oh, wait. Partners, got to make sure I thank the partners. Wasp, Ozonics, Deer Lab, Exodus, Lone Wolf, Gearhead, Ripcord, and Big Bone Outfitters. Excuse me, Big Horn Outfitters. Thank you guys for your continued uh, continued support. I'm going to make 2018 great because of you and uh, tell you what guys the ata show is coming fast and uh, i got a lot to review we got some kick-ass content that's going to be coming out of that show Uh, so please pay attention to that other than that guys if you're gonna be in the timber please 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 when you're wrapping up this year wear your damn safety harness have a good week Let's just see the comments. Have a good day. Bye-bye.